This is Stavros Yanuka welcoming you back for another episode of Wise Words. In our last episode, we explored the importance of investing in the entrepreneurial capabilities of young girls. Uh, our next guest, Steve Cumming, is going to share with us what happens when we also invest in vocational training for young people. Uh, Steve Cumming is the Associate Director of Secondary Education at the MasterCard Foundation. Uh, Steve has over 10 years of development experience, a major part of which he spent in Rwanda, helping develop uh, youth employment uh, strategies uh, for that country. Uh, to do that, he worked with economic, financial, uh, and agricultural sectors uh, to build and restructure various vocational programs. Uh, in this episode, we will discuss with Steve how to meaningfully engage with young people and encourage their voice on policies impacting youth uh, employment. Uh, this episode was recorded in Accra, Ghana, on the margins of our regional WISE at Accra event. And with that, I bring you Steve Cumming. Steve Cumming, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you. Uh, Steve, you're uh, uh, currently working with the MasterCard Foundation uh, in Africa. You're originally from Canada. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your personal journey and, and what led you to, uh, to to where you are today. Well, I, I've been at the MasterCard Foundation now for about seven and a half years. Uh, when, when I started, we were about 18. Uh, so very early days in the foundation's growth, yeah. uh, and now we're about to have about 100 staff, uh, as well as our first office on the continent. So over the past seven and a half years, there's, there's been a phenomenal amount of change and, and growth at the foundation. Uh, before coming to the foundation, I worked for a very, very small youth development organization in Toronto. Uh, and then before that, um, I was living and working on this continent uh, for a few years, in, but mostly in, in kind of an emergency and humanitarian settings. Mm -hmm. So always a little bit in development, a little bit with young people, but certainly the, the time of the foundation is really kind of focused and centered the work exclusively on, on youth economic development. Yeah. And what, what is it about your, your personal background and education that, that sort of led you to, 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 to opt for this line of work? I don't know. I, I think, it, I mean, it, it's always something that's intrigued me. I think combining some kind of um, elements of, of travel and, and, and living outside of Canada was something that, that I always felt strongly about. I think the aspect, certainly in this work, of the kind of combination of social policy, community activism, um, engaging and learning about different cultures, working with a, a, a wide variety of stakeholders, I think the political aspect, uh, the historical aspect, all those things kind of come together in development in a, in a really interesting way. Um, and I think I've just been really grateful uh, to have the opportunity to, to live in different countries and, and to visit different countries and, and meet young people, meet government, employers, uh, and, and try and do this work in a, in a kind of collective fashion. Yeah. Now, a lot of, I mean, I've noticed a lot of young people now really view the, the NGO space, you know, the development space as, you know, as a viable sort of alternative in terms of, of careers to, uh, uh, to say the more, more traditional corporate or, or government uh, uh, sector work. Is, is that your, has that been your experience as well? Is that, are you, are you seeing growth in this sector? Are you seeing? Yeah, essentially, yeah. I, I think we're seeing a lot of young people in social enterprise, and, and it may not be the traditional NGOs, although yeah. they're trying to kind of morph and, and adapt to that reality, but I think 
you see a lot of young people on this continent uh, working in, in social enterprises, working with NGOs, starting their own businesses, their social enterprises, uh, and the kind of the tradition or, or the kind of historical assumption around a lot of folks from the Western world working for NGOs and coming here is, I think, being challenged and, and changing quite dramatically. Yeah. And when you look at our workforce and, and the type of talent we're looking to recruit, it, it's it's from this continent. It's, it's people who have uh, firsthand knowledge of understanding of the countries that they're working in. Uh, and really trying to take that entrepreneurship and that kind of social enterprise philosophy to NGOs or to bigger institutions like yeah. ours. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about some of the main priorities that you're pursuing right now, because you're you're heading uh, secondary education as well as uh, technical and, and vocational education at, at uh, MasterCard Foundation. Yeah, so we, we've just launched a new strategy, uh, a new 10-year strategy, and, and a lot of, almost all of the work last year was uh, in, in preparation for that and doing the kind of groundwork of, of what that would mean and what our next 10 years and, and what the next kind of iteration or um, configuration of the foundation would look like. So now we're moving into the implementation phase. Yeah. So a lot of the work that I was doing last year was focused on Rwanda uh, and working with a team of colleagues to get two, or one and, and now two new initiatives yeah. up and running in, in Rwanda. Uh, and those two initiatives were essentially reflecting and building on the strategy as we developed it. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to operationalize what was coming out of the strategy development process. In December, as part of the strategy, we restructured the organization. Uh, and quite quite fundamentally, we're really changing the way that we work okay. and how we, how we kind of organize ourselves. Yeah. So now looking at a, a kind of country-based approach, whereby we have colleagues who are working exclusively on, on particular countries of interest, as well as um, those who are working on kind of more technical support. So whether that's secondary and TVET, whether it's technology, SMEs, agriculture, uh, really trying to utilize the expertise within the foundation to provide support to the countries. Yeah. Um, and then also managing a, a fairly substantive portfolio as well. So people have really had to adapt uh, in the last six months about how they work, who yeah. they work with, what their priorities are, um, how they kind of define and identify within this new structure and how they can kind of contribute to this to this new yeah. strategy. Can you give us a few highlights in terms of of, of what you're hoping to to achieve? What, what's going to come out of all of this? So, I mean, the new, I think the new strategy is uh, a reflection of us identifying youth employment as the central challenge on this continent in the years to come. And while our work before was looking at kind of three programmatic areas around education and learning, youth livelihoods, and financial inclusion really bringing those three things together in a kind of holistic and integrated way to tackle youth employment. Yeah. So the, the ultimate goal of the strategy is to uh, enable 30 million young people, especially women, uh, to secure dignified and meaningful work uh, yeah. on this continent by 2030. Yeah. And I think that is a, a hugely ambitious goal that we've set for ourselves yeah. and for our partners and for others, and really trying to galvanize and start to operationalize what that, what that work looks yeah. like. And and thirty million, I mean, just to sort of give give listeners a sense of the, in a sense, the demographic challenge that the continent of Africa faces. Thirty million is roughly what sort of percentage of the expected well, they expected labor force. Thir 30, yeah. 375 million people in the workforce by twenty thirty. Yeah. Um, so so we're taking a, a portion of that, or we're we're trying yeah. to to. Yeah. Uh, Put our, put our hands up and also to encourage others to work with us and, and for us to work yeah. with others to, to do that. But you're seeing now on this continent, you know, uh, a unique and historical confluence yeah. of demographics and economic transformation. Yeah. And, and this we feel from the work that we've done and, and from what we've heard yeah. 
from stakeholders across this continent that, that enabling those young people to fulfill their economic and social potential is, yeah. is going to define this continent for the centuries to come. Yeah. So, so when you're when you're assessing, you know, priorities or or uh, you know projects to support, what are the the sorts of things that you're you're looking for? How do you identify what's worth pursuing versus what's better left to maybe maybe somebody else or I think the, one of the, the elements of the strategy is changing, again, quite fundamentally how we engage with partners. So yeah. in, the, in the 10 years that we had kind of leading up to the development of the new strategy, um, partners would, would come to us and they would come with an idea and we would kind of co-create and, and go through a proposal development process. Uh, and oftentimes there wasn't necessarily a, a direct linkage yet, even at a country level with other partners that we were supporting. So we had financial yeah. inclusion partners doing one thing, we had a, a scholarship program doing another, we had a youth livelihood program doing another thing, all within five or six different districts or provinces of one country. And despite relatively significant investments, it was hard to have a kind of cohesive narrative around what our impact was. Mm. So we had amazing partners, very strong projects, but the, the ability to reach scale, the ability to have something that's kind of trans, transformative, and that really builds upon the, the three elements of our work was missing. And I think now moving to a country-based approach, starting with a, a country diagnostic process, and really understanding where the kind of policies, where the policies are at, where the government is at, where the momentum is uh, in terms of growth, and then backing into what kind of partners or programs might best respond to that. I think is, is is a real shift. Yeah. So, you know, the, the work that we did in Rwanda, which is the, the kind of furthest along in that process, didn't start with partners. It started with the government. It started with a discussion about what are your priorities, where do you see the, the biggest challenges and opportunities in, in particular growth sectors, uh, particular uh, constraints within the SME sector or within this kind of skills ecosystem, uh, what are the policies that you're putting forward and how can we support that? And then through a 12 to 14 month process, you know, with government, with employers, with others, really try to, to understand and focus in areas where we felt we'd have added value. Yeah. And I think you see a very different kind of manifestation of what the programs look like as a result. And, and this shift, as, as we kind of wind down the existing portfolio and scale up the country-based work, it, it'll look very different. I think yeah. the, the way we engage is different, the way we partner is different, and, and yeah. the types of programs are very different. Now, um, you know, there, there's, I mean, skeptics might might look at what um, what what uh, foundations like the Mastercard foundations that are that are obviously linked to, uh, to to large corporate entities. They might look at it with, you know, with a certain degree of of kind of skepticism and and uh, and even suspicion to say, well, you know, you, you know, you're you're there primarily to you know to to serve a kind of a business. Uh, imperative. How, you know, how would you respond to that? And how, I mean, what, how are you structured to kind of avoid right. the, you know, the appearance of, of you know, yeah. potential conflicts of interest? And well, it's a, it's a, it's a common misconception, as yeah. you can imagine. Um, I think what we say and 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 the way that we're structured is that we're completely independent from yeah. Mastercard worldwide. Yeah. Uh, that we are the result of a, of a very generous and unprecedented gift at the time of their IPO in 2006. Yeah. Uh, but we are not a corporate foundation. Yeah. So we have our own board, we have our own governance system, uh, we don't have uh, uh, direct relations or interactions yeah. formally with the MasterCard yeah. worldwide. 
uh, and we have as as our endowment ten percent of their shares. Yeah, um, and that's what allows us to, to yeah. fund the programs that we do. So, so, so you're an independent shareholder of the Mastercard Fund, essentially. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, we share obviously <clears throat> the brand, and we share yeah. the name, uh, and and what goes along with that. But uh, the the financing decisions that we make, the countries that we choose to work in, the programs that we design are are, yeah. are completely independent. Yeah. Um, and we're just incredibly lucky to have to have that gift and, and to be yeah. able to utilize those funds the way that we do. Yeah. No, that's that's. Uh, that's a helpful uh, clarification. Um, now, I also know that you, um, you you've recently invested in uh, in in some research priorities, especially around uh, reimagining and rethinking secondary education in in Africa. And I know Wise has been mm-hmm. has been a part of that uh, yeah. that that group that that you've convened. Um, what are what are some of the things again that you're hoping to get out of this research and and why was it important for you to actually uh, put uh, resources behind yeah. um, academic uh, research? So I think uh, the, the secondary education in Africa report, which builds on a, a, a somewhat similar report 10 years ago from the yeah. World Bank, is an attempt for us to bring around uh, a coalition of stakeholders to look at uh, the future of secondary education as it relates to employment and the future of work. Yeah. Um, so this is, we're, we're still relatively early in this process, uh, but we've got an advisory committee, we've got a number of different donors who are contributing, we're, we're reaching out to research organizations, especially those on this continent, uh, who can drive uh, 13 different background papers, which will then be reconsolidated into a number of chapters. Uh, and to and to, to, to publish this report hopefully early next year. Yeah. But I think is equally important to the report is the process by which it's developed and, and disseminated. So yeah. it's one thing to have a report. Uh, it's a it's a very different thing to have the buy-in from a, a, a broad um, group of stakeholders, and that includes you know, policymakers in the education system, government, uh, academics, teachers. You know, even young people, parents, employers, all those people who are touched by the by secondary education, all of those uh, who are who are looking at the uh, the relationship between secondary education and the future of work, will have a have a stake in what's yeah. what's put in this type of report. De- developing case studies that are representative of the continent, uh, and making sure again that the research is driven by by academics on this continent as well. So it's a huge undertaking. Uh, yeah. We've been lucky to work with great partners to, to get it started. And, and it is also going to dovetail into the broader research strategy that we have as part of the new 10-year yeah. strategy as well. Yeah. So trying to configure and, and uh, align um, this, this SEA work with, with where we're going institutionally as we roll out the new strategy. Yeah. And, and are there, I mean, what are some, I mean, you, you've been, you know, you've been at this for, for a while now. And, and even though it's early days with the, with the research effort, are there, are there any sort of highlights or, or any insights that, that you know, you, you can glean in terms of, of how, you know, how we get education closer to, um, you know, to, to, to supporting uh, uh, employment? I think, two, we, we met last week to look at some of the emergent uh, findings from a couple of the background papers. And, and two things that, that, I, that p- struck me particularly were one, that um, the number of young people transitioning from secondary, secondary into employment. So yeah. the notion that secondary is a springboard into tertiary and then maybe into formal employment is, is not the reality for most young people, yeah. even if they make it into secondary. Yeah. So you have this huge group of young people who are of the age of secondary education, who may still be in primary, who may not have made that transition to secondary. Yeah. 
and then those that are in secondary, and especially as it becomes more universal and that it catches up to some of the earlier education for all initiatives uh, that, have, that have been promoted, is you have a number of young people leaving secondary into the workforce. Uh, and not as a as a, a stepping stone necessarily at this time or or, yeah. or in their future necessarily into into employment. I think the other interesting point was there's a, an interesting tension or debate about the the rate of economic transformation in a number of countries and how the skills that you need for the future of work are impacting young people say in the next five or ten years and and does the broader structural transformation of a number of countries on this continent, will it happen as quickly as it's happened in other cases? And what is it that's going to drive that? And are the, our economies going to you know, remain primarily agrarian? Uh, is manufacturing going to kind of take off and, mm -hmm. and take some of that labor? Yeah. Or are services going to take over because the, the industrialization process isn't, isn't kind of um, happening at the pace that it's happened in other cases? And what are the skill sets? To, to enable yeah. that, yeah. Um, and then I think also the, the the role of technology is just we just don't know, and and I think it could it can leapfrog or it can accelerate that process, but how that works yeah. is is still up for debate. So, I think this report and and certainly the discussions around it are are really going to surface a lot of discussion about about equipping young people with the skills for a transformation process that's ongoing in a number of these countries, and the choices that policymakers and especially governments and especially finance ministries have to make around some of these things and, and yeah. what that means. Because yeah. it, it ultimately comes down to a, a financial decision and a yeah. policy decision. These are incredibly hard decisions to make in, yeah. in a time of constraint. Um, and, and hopefully our report and, and especially the kind of dissemination and engagement process around it can help illuminate or, or, or introduce some of those discussions. Yeah. And <clears throat> staying with research, um, I, I know also that you're you're pursuing this this very innovative and interesting uh, initiative called the Youth Think Tank. Yeah. Can can you say a little bit about that and sure. what, you know what it is and and you know and 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 why you feel it's it, it's an important uh, effort. So I think it's something that's evolved a lot at the foundation, and, and in part because of the leadership of, of a number of my colleagues who have who've taken the, who've taken what was kind of the initial iteration and, and really run with it. But uh, it was really a, an opportunity uh, to identify young people to conduct mostly qualitative research on issues that were salient to them, that were aligned with our strategy, and to introduce voices that we may not ordinarily be able to capture yeah. into our strategy-making process. Um, and through that group, which I think convened for the first time in 2011, uh, it has grown exponentially. Yeah. Uh, and it has really helped us understand the ways uh, to include youth voices into all of our work. And, yeah. and that, that has kind of evolved not only from, from kind of primary research, but as uh, champions of the strategy, and yeah. representatives of the foundation of the strategy, and, and making sure that young people had a voice in its development. We have young people who uh, have sit on steering committees and advisory committees for us, young people who review proposals uh, and give feedback on particular proposals or, or sub-strategies within the foundation. We've had young people uh, come with us on due diligence visits uh, before uh, a partner has been approved and give their feedback or meet with other young people. Uh, they've met with our board, uh, they've met with our partners, yes. uh, and they've really become uh, a voice within the institution of, of the young people that they represent in our communities and countries. Yeah, and and you know, and I imagine that this is this is also a great opportunity for for these young people to gain you know some some very interesting skills and. Uh, and also, you know, gain exposure to, you know, to, to the world of, of, of policy, to the world mm -hmm. of, of uh, 
of of, uh, of work in, yes. in in some respects. Yeah, yeah. and to become researchers yeah. and, to, and yeah. to become you know in some ways you know, doing community engagements, speaking to their peers, uh, speaking to to stakeholders within their communities, reflecting their views up uh, through a process that, that's obviously very iterative and tries to capture kind of key themes. Yeah. Uh, we convene those young people, provide them with skills in, in particular areas of research, and I think in the last report uh, that's available now, they they conducted more than 250 interviews. Um, yeah. So it, it it is a a growing substantive body of research that they're contributing to. Yeah. And it's and you know it's very much youth driven. And and is it is it captured anywhere? Do you how, how do you? So it's I mean there's yeah. a, there's specific reports that the youth think tank has yeah. written that, that we've supported and then um, I think equally importantly we're seeing the the integration of that youth voice in our strategy and how we do the country yeah. diagnostic work yeah. and how we govern ourselves uh, and how we structure ourselves internally at the foundation to have people who are whose time is is dedicated to engaging young people uh, through utilizing technology to kind of expand the reach and and from doing. I think some some thoughtful work on on making sure that we're not tokenizing young people, that yeah. we're not you know taking the same young person that's also on the UNHCR steering committee and the, yeah. the government steering committee and and these other things and, and really trying to have a reflective um, representation of young yeah. people, be it urban, rural, men, women, okay. yeah. you know different different abilities and different yeah. backgrounds. Um, I was I was going to ask I mean how how do you select? The, uh, it's competitive. It's yeah. been competitive in the past, so we do ask uh, uh, for applications, um, and obviously each year it grows uh, more and more. And then we've worked with uh, an organization called Restless Development to, to kind of be the intermediary on some of that work. Yeah. Um, and as as our engagement with young people has grown, so has the network. And and through now our, yeah. our scholarship work, uh, especially at the secondary level, um, the young people involved with our partners, they, they've been able to reach out and, and to be engaged uh, to, to find their peers and to, and to really broaden that network across the continent. Yeah. Um, so there's a, a good geographic representation and I think increasingly a, a strong representation of a, a variety of different view, viewpoints of young people. Yeah. So <clears throat> if you were to if you were to to, to advise, uh, you know, a, a Another NGO, or, or, or even a you know a, a, a business who, who's thinking about investing in, in education in in Africa. What, what advice would you give them in terms of you know where are the opportunities? Where's the greatest need, and where where are the, where are the opportunities? I think I mean again there's some general themes that I think touch on, on many of the countries in this continent, but uh, I think that. The, the work around transferable skills and the ability to kind of inculcate those skills yeah. at, uh, at scale, at the, especially at the secondary level, even at the TVET level, I think is a challenge. When we talk to employers, you know, we hear that, fine, we'll, we'll provide the technical training as a business. We know there's going to be yeah. some, some piece that we're willing to invest in, but if that young person has trouble communicating, if they've never worked as a team, uh, if they don't have some self-confidence, yeah. some workforce readiness, if they're not bringing um, the however they're defined as 21st century skills or yeah. transferable skills uh, that, that, that we've worked on, that, that they, they're not ready to work. Yeah. Uh, and I think the ability of teachers and other instructors to provide curriculum or pedagogy around how to do that, uh, and again, this recognition that from the secondary, uh, you, you're, off, you're often going into the world of work, so mm -hmm. you're going to have a first kind of labor experience. Um, and then again, in TVET, you know, what is it that, that kind of allows you to round out that technical training so that you're ready to work? Uh, yeah. and, and a much deeper or closer connection with industry to drive what those skill gaps are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because I think, I think there's often a, 
you know, a, a, a false uh, uh, sort of choice presented uh, between, you know, um, kind of em 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 employment uh, relevant skills versus, say, you know, academic right. uh, knowledge and. Yeah. But but you know what you're really describing is is just good, good life skills, right? And and you know and, and you know with a strong emphasis on, you know, on communication, on teamwork, um, things that ought to come out naturally from, you know, from a good education, right? Um, but aren't I but, think? But, I mean, I think yeah, that's a big challenge. They don't, is yeah. that the the, yeah. the, the, the kind of <clears throat> traditional pedagogical approach of rote learning or having one yeah. person standing at the at the top of the classroom and, and directing young people how to yeah. learn or what to learn um, the lack of, of uh, kind of career services or, or the ability of especially yeah. secondary schools to engage with the labor market I think when you have you know economies that are 80 or 90 percent informal and with firm sizes of two three or four people it's very difficult to signal your needs if you're uh, an informal enterprise. So how do you know what you need? Yeah. How do you grow if, yeah. if everyone in your business is a family member yeah. or you're kind of in a survival mode? Um, so how do you take those skills and kind of reflect them in the curriculum or, or advocate for them at a, at a policy level? So I, it's, it, it's a challenge. I think it's a challenge certainly at the vocational level. Um, but there at least there's more of an expectation or assumption that the transition yeah. from vocational is into employment. So the apprenticeship model Industrial attachments, kind of dual dual approach to learning, I think is 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 more recognized there. But seeing that yeah. models that can can do that at a secondary level, I think is potentially quite compelling. And have you, have you seen success stories? Have you have you are you able to to, to sort of point to? I think we're some of our work with uh, with EDC uh, and the Akaiza Kenozi program, which is in Rwanda, does mm -hmm. try to try to take those skills and and match them. Uh, to employer needs and provide some workforce training. That's something they've taken, a model they've taken to Senegal with some success. Um, so I we are seeing it, but it is a, it is difficult because it combines two things that haven't always gone together, especially for those institutions, mm -hmm. which is the kind of workforce development or labor market understanding with the education policy or education yeah. training piece. And, and there's few, lots of organizations, I think, say that they can do that or mm -hmm. are interested in doing that, but few do it well. Yeah. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of talk, um, and I think it's something that we're gonna we're gonna touch upon at uh, at, at why is it uh, why is it Accra? Um, there's a lot of talk about the need to leapfrog on on the continent because you know if you follow you know uh, a traditional model of of uh, you know thirty kids to a class kind of kind of education, the the demographics simply don't, don't, don't allow yeah. that to, to work it's, yeah. it's you know <clears throat> there's I, I heard a but again this is I, I haven't verified this but I heard somewhere that you know there there are countries out there like uh, you know Somalia uh, Ethiopia Eritrea where even if, if you take every single graduate that's coming out of college today and turn them into teachers you're still not going to have yeah. enough teachers for again I don't know how yeah, yeah. you know how true uh, it is but it but it is I mean even if it's even if it's half true, it just goes to show yeah. the, the scale of the challenge. So wh what are your thoughts on, on that? I think absolutely technology has a, has a critical and, and catalytic role to play. Yeah. I think it's, it's just hard to figure out what are those investments that are going to operate at scale. Yeah. Uh, and you see lots of, of pilots. We see some, some effective models. I think we've, we've 
works uh, effectively in, in Zambia with an organization called Child Fund on doing some e-learning for nurses uh, and community health workers that's yeah. been effective. But uh, it's like everyone, this, this space is moving so quickly, it's hard to pinpoint where, yeah. where those changes can be and how to support them. Um, but without a doubt, continuing in this process is, is not going to be feasible given, given yeah. the demographics. Yeah. So it, it's finding the right investments and it's also finding, I think, the right balance between some of those foundational skills and just making you know, literacy, numeracy, readiness to work, some of the transferable yeah. skills and, and making sure they're there and, and not maybe you know, trying to chase after what, what the next silver bullet is. Yeah, it's a sobering thought. Steve, I, I'm going to end with, with a question that I ask all, uh, all interviewees, um, which is that if you, you know, if you had to pick one skill, one area of knowledge, one, uh, you know, even if it's like a disciplinary uh, area, you know, that, that you feel everyone should be uh, uh, equipped with, what would that be? I think, I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily a knowledge area, but I think we've prided ourselves on our ability to listen. Uh, okay. And I think in the foundation, yeah. we take a lot of pride and, and have tried to be good listeners. And yeah. I think if you want to do this work, uh, especially if you're going to try and do it from Toronto, when all the work is on this continent, yeah. uh, you need to listen. And, yeah. and from, from that listening, I think we're able to, to, to build more effective partnerships yeah. and, and to really work collectively with, with, uh, with our partners and with other stakeholders in solving some of these problems. Well, you're the second person today that I've spoken to that's that cited listening as a key okay. key skill and and absolutely I think it's it's critical to to learning the ability to listen um, is 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 central if you will to to that enterprise uh, Steve Cumming thank you thank for you. your wise words thank, thank you very you. much. If you're enjoying the Wise Words podcast and want to find out more about our guests and their work as well as discover what else we do at WISE, you can visit us at www.wise-qatar.org backslash wise-words. And if you want to continue the discussion, compliment or critique us, you can find us on Twitter at wise underscore tweets or at wise underscore CEO, hashtag wisepod. We would also appreciate reviews on iTunes because it helps other people find us.